Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. Now that the COVID vaccines have been made available to most Americans, the question of mandatory vaccination is now coming to light. In March of this year, Joe Biden gave his first primetime address as president. I don't know if you remember that or not, but almost the entire speech was on one subject, the COVID vaccine. (laughs) He said it was like 24 minutes long or something. And he said in that speech that one of his administration's highest priorities was to make sure that every American would get a COVID shot. Now, it's a little bit weird to say that because not every American needs a COVID shot, but they did say that they were not or would never be in favor of a vaccine passport, saying that, you know, only those that had the vaccine uh, would be able to do certain things. You had this passport, you had to show it at, you know, wherever you go, but They are in support of everything that a vaccine passport does. (laughs) They are in support of employers and schools mandating vaccines, and as well as other things. So let's quickly take a step back and let's look at this issue. When the vaccines were first rolled out, only certain people could get them because of the lack of supply, obviously. Uh, The CDC said that Groups other than the elderly would be getting them first because white people made up the too high a percentage, basically, of the elderly population. So in some states, the vaccines were distributed to nurses and teachers and even inmates before the elderly. And since coronavirus uh, affects mostly the elderly and those with, you know, obviously pre-existing conditions, If more white people died because of the virus, then that would work toward the goal of them equaling things out. So the government used the coronavirus to accomplish their racist agenda. They also used the virus to accomplish a self-inflicted economic recession. With the shutdowns lasting longer than the two weeks to, you know, remember this flatten the curve, They created a level of uncertainty that helped them win the presidency back. The other thing that the government used um, when it comes to the virus was to take unprecedented control and power over individual freedoms. Uh, There is a a real reason why you um, may now know the different names of the state governors that you never did before. I mean, you probably know way more uh, names of the state governors than you ever did before. Many of these governors have taken authority that they have really no legal or constitutional right to have. The only reason that they are continuing to lock down their states, even though they are way past the 30-day emergency clauses, is because there is no one to hold them accountable. They're mostly Democratic state legislators, and, and, and they won't hold them accountable for the, the, the power grab. They, they bought and paid for the Supreme Courts, and they won't hold them accountable. So they continue to get drunk on this new found power trip. 
And then when the vaccines were made available to those, you know, 16 or older, that this is kind of a recent thing. Um, and that you know, everybody in, and that they're putting out there said everybody should get them. Now, you know, we're seeing a push to, you know, to pressure for a mandate of the vaccines. Because what they're seeing is that just about everybody who wanted the vaccine is 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 basically kind of already gotten it. There, there's not this mad rush. And there, I know when they rolled them out here in the state of Washington to where everybody 16 and older could get it, uh, they were they were cautioning, boy, you know, you need to, you know, set your times and, and, and you know, get in when you can and be patient because you probably won't be able to get in. Yeah, you know, anytime soon and all that. Well, they've completely changed their tune now to, hey, you know, come on out. There's lots of room. <laughs> so when the trial balloon was first launched to have the vaccine passports, it was rightfully shot down as a terrible idea because it is. It's a terrible idea. So now the idea is to do everything that a passport does, but just not call it that. So... Now what we see is colleges that are mandating that everyone get the vaccine or they can't attend classes. I mean, that in itself is part of what a passport would do, right? You you can't do something without showing that you've been vaccinated. So let let me stop here and let me reiterate that things that I've said before, all right? that we agree that COVID is a real virus that was made in China. It is a particularly nasty virus, in fact, of which I and my family have had and we've recovered from. Uh, We are not anti-vaxxers. We believe that many vaccines are safe and do a lot of good. Uh, Taking a vaccine or any other medical treatment or medicine is between you and your doctor. I mean, it literally is. And for some people, even their clergy. <laughs> but we are not saying that the vaccines are, are dangerous. What we're saying is that we don't know. What we are opposed to is the government interfering with that decision and requiring you to take something that is not even approved by the FDA. I mean, it's not. It's not approved by the FDA. And some people will say, what? It's not approved by the FDA. It's been approved for emergency use only. So it, there, there haven't been enough studies done. There haven't, we, we, we don't know what long-term effects are. Um, there, there are some concerns uh, of these long-term effects on some people, including effects on female fertility. According to a recent study published in the New England Journal of Medicine, it concluded, quote, more longitudinal follow-up including follow-up of large numbers of women vaccinated early on in pregnancy is necessary to inform material pregnancy, maternal pregnancy and infant outcomes, unquote. So the science is saying we don't understand. We don't know. We do not know what the long-term effects of these vaccines are. And we understand that those that have already had COVID, well, they have antibodies. You know, we have antibodies after having the virus that makes it so we don't even need the vaccine. So why would 
everyone, according to Joe Biden, need to have the vaccine. So when this uh, article came along, it was interesting. And and it's it kind of shows you where things are headed. And it was entitled, Can COVID-19 Vaccines Be Mandatory in the U.S.? And Who Decides? It was written by Joanne Rosen uh, back in November, and she's uh, and it was it was put out by John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, so it was it was kind of interesting to see what their perspective on it was. Joanne is a is a legal expert and a senior lecturer in health policy and management at the Center for Law and Public Health. Once and this is what she says: once a COVID vaccine or vaccines are made available, could states mandate? that people get them. So that that's the question here. Is this something that states could require of people? The short answer to this, she says, is yes. States have the legal and constitutional authority to require that people who live in that state be vaccinated or to introduce a vaccine mandate. She says the authority for the state being able to compel vaccination, the affirmation of authority, of that authority, goes all the way back to the U.S. Supreme Court in, in a case in 1905 called Jacobson versus Massachusetts. The case arose in the midst of an outbreak of smallpox in Cambridge, Massachusetts in 1902. Cambridge introduced an ordinance requiring all adults to be vaccinated or revaccinated against smallpox. If they didn't get vaccinated, they would have to pay a fine of, get this, $5. <laughs> I mean, again, it was it was quite a bit back in, in 1905, right? Jacobson was a resident of Cambridge who, for a number of reasons, objected to the vaccination mandate and brought a lawsuit against Massachusetts for the mandate. He raised a number of arguments, including one that his constitutionality protected liberty interest uh, interests were being infringed by the mandate. In that case, the Supreme Court said that states have under their police powers, which is under the Constitution, the authority to enact reasonable regulations as necessary to protect public health, public safety, and the common good. I, I want to read this to you again. Okay, I want you to hear this closely. In the case of the Supreme Court, that that said that states under their police powers, which is under the Constitution, the authority to enact reasonable regulations as necessary to protect public health, public safety, and the common good. Vaccination mandates constitute exactly that kind of permissible state action to protect the public's health, is what she's saying. Even though it's 115 years old, this constitutes and continues to be the benchmark case on the state's power to mandate vaccination. Now, I'm going to stop here just for a second. If you give the states, and this is what the Supreme Court is saying here, that the Constitution gives the states the power to have authority to, to make uh, regulations that are necessary to protect public health, public safety, and the common good, 
then we don't have a whole lot of personal rights because you can make just about anything. You can make a ham sandwich about public safety, public health, and, and the common good. It, she goes on and says, in, in response to the argument about the individual liberty interests, which is what we were just talking about, the court said that sometimes individual interests might have to yield to state laws that endeavor to protect the health of everybody. The common good, the court said, the rights of the individual may at times, under the pressure of great dangers, be subject to such restraint to be enforced by reasonable regulations as the safety of the general public may demand. So this is just simply an infringement on personal rights. There's just no two ways to, to read this. I mean, if, if the common good trumps any kind of personal right, then anything can be said to be a public good. I, it wasn't that long ago when there was a big uprising about the number of people that were on the earth and we were going to you know, have this overpopulation of the earth and we're, we don't have enough resources to, 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 to cover everything and, and, and feed everyone and, and all this. And, and obviously, you know, China has gone into that whole thing of, you can only have one child and all this kind of stuff. So if you, if we're saying the common good is that we should be able to, you know, prevent people from having babies and, and, and children over their right to be able to have as many children as they want. Well, that, that under this Supreme Court decision back in 1905, if you're going to maintain this, then you're going to say that that's okay. Quote, the rights of the individual may at times, under the pressure of great dangers, be subject, subjected to such restraint to be enforced by reasonable regulations as the safety of the general public may demand. Now, there is that one phrase in there, under the pressure of great dangers. And can you say that COVID is a great danger? Yes, it's a nasty virus. But it's a nasty virus that has a 99.9% recovery rate. So, yes, there have been a number of people that have died from it. There's no doubt about that. But there's a lot of things that people die from. And this one definitely attacks a certain element of people, elderly and those with pre-existing conditions. But is that what, we're, what is being said here a great danger? So, yes, once COVID vaccines are available, she says, states could elect to require that people who live within that state be vaccinated. That's, that's what she's saying is that it's okay for states to do that legally. How might states enforce vaccination of adults, she asks. By at large, our immunization schedule begins as children. And we have to show proof of vaccination to go to school. It is a more complicated administrative matter to have a vaccine mandate that applies to adults because there isn't a point of common intersection with the state or with the, with some agency of the state that, that, that way we can, you know, we can have children, we can have with children, but, but I don't have a clear idea of this, she says, but 
that would be something that states would have to work into a mandate. So basically what she's saying is, I don't understand how we're going to enforce a mandate, but we're going to leave that up to the states <laughs> how to do that. A requirement that people be vaccinated is only as effective as the way to in, of, of ensuring that they are. Well, duh. <laughs> yeah. Yes, of course. Any law that can't be enforced is really not a law. She says that also raises issues that the vaccine has to be made available without charge or in a way that allows people to get coverage for it if it's not covered by their insurance. Again, how are we able to keep track? I, I, would, I would agree with her actually on this. I mean, you can't mandate something and then say, okay, you've got to go pay for it. I mean, that's what Obama tried to do when it came down to Obamacare. He, he basically said, you have, you have to go get insurance. You have to pay for insurance out of your pocket. And if you don't pay for insurance out of your pocket, then we're going to fine you. <laughs> so, that, that's not legal. She says the other advantage that school-based proof of vaccination offers is for people who have some medical reason to not be vaccinated. All vaccine mandates, including a medical exemption for people whose health would be imperiled because of an allergy or something in the vaccine, or because they are, you know, innumerably or for for any, any other reason, she's saying. When you go to school and show your proof of vac vaccination certificate or show that you've been exempted and you're not vaccinated, it means the public health offices have a record of who is who, uh, who and, and who is not in, uh, vaccinated. In the event of an outbreak of one of these vac vaccine preventable diseases, we can identify and isolate people who haven't been vaccinated and who are obviously at a higher risk of being infected. Now that's a little bit scary, isn't it? So it looks like the plan is to track those that are not vaccinated. So if if we can, you know, get this list put together of people who want to be vaccinated and those that don't want to be vaccinated or take this vaccine or are vaccine hesitant or whatever they want to call it, well, then we have a list of people who, you know, we can we can, uh, you know, put a you know, little pressure on the next time that we want to to uh, take something. You know, what about those who, who have had the virus? I mean, we're leaving those people out. Those that have had the virus and have the antibodies, have the B and T cells. I mean, th these, are, <clears throat> these are people that don't need to have the vaccine. What about them? I mean, how are we going to get them on the list, right? She says the goal of a vaccination campaign is to have as many people as possible vaccinated. The exemptions that you have spoke about would keep a number of people from becoming vaccinated. And this is an interviewer basically interviewing her. This was an issue with measles in recent years. There were too many except exemptions and that that's what caused outbreaks. Is this something that you might be up against with COVID-19? And she says, yes, absolutely. The measles outbreak in, the New, in New York was about a year or two ago and the uh, and in California and it was traced to Disney World in 2014-2015. The reasons for these outbreaks were religious exemptions in New York and personal belief exemptions in California. The legislators of California and New York revoked 
non-medical exemptions as a result so that they could ensure higher rates of people immunized against measles. And guess what, she says. The rate of measles immunizations did go up when those exemptions were removed. Well, yeah, of course they were. One of the reasons that the non-medical exemptions were introduced in the first place was to try to to respond to and prevent vaccine-related backlash. That's a very strong culture in this country and others of personal autonomy. (laughs) Did you hear that? Personal autonomy and not wanting the government to force you to do something or tell you what to do. People wanted to be able to make their own decisions about the risks they're willing to take. Well, wow, imagine that. The introduction of these exemptions, in part, was kind of a safety valve, she says, to let some of the pressure out of the system so that people could feel that they had some choice. Those terrible people. (laughs) Those terrible people that think that making decisions that are best for you are selfish. I mean, we should always make decisions that are best for everyone and not us or our kids, right? Absolutely stunning. Although it seems counterintuitive, providing some opt-out mechanism, in fact, can protect the overall integrity and legitimacy of the vaccine regime and public health. Yes, the goal of public health is to ensure that as many people as possible are vaccinated to prevent further transmission of the disease. This leaves the question of how best to achieve that goal. A vaccine mandate looks like it's the most straightforward way to do it. But if we have a lot of backlash and resistance to it, how do we then bring those folks on side? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, On one approach might be to start with a strong recommendation and education campaign. Physicians, and, and, and hear this, physicians and healthcare providers can be part of this effort to educate people about the safety of vaccines, a particular issue that we may face with COVID-19 vaccine that does, uh, that does arise with, uh, that, uh, that does arise with other vaccines, but not with the same degree, are questions about safety because it's brand new. Measles and mumps, rubella, polio, and smallpox vaccines have been around for decades, if not even longer. They are um, regarded as safe, and we have decades of data, but COVID-19 vaccines are brand new, so there will probably be more concern, you think, even among people who are fully vaccinated against other diseases and who have vaccinated their children. Okay. (laughs) How can you make recommendations and education on the safety when you don't know the long-term safety? I mean, if you have these guys out there and they're saying, hey, this is safe, but how can you say that it's safe when you haven't, don't, you don't know the long-term safety of it? You can't compare these vaccines to the other vaccines because you know, minus the J&J vaccine, these are entirely new kinds of vaccines that have never been done before. It's absolutely stunning. 
One approach, she says, perhaps to start is, is a strong recommendation of being transparent uh, as, as the drug companies are doing their best to do. I, 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 would, I would say that's, that's baloney. They're not, they're not entirely being transparent on everything. Uh, can private employers mandate a vaccine? Well, she goes on to say that, yes, private employers can. And, and we have, we've seen even examples of this where people have gone in and they have said, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not getting uh, vaccinated because I have, uh, I'm trying to get pregnant and, uh, and there's some concerns there or uh, whatever the case may be. They have some uh, concerns and they want to get vaccinated. So their employer says, okay, fine, but you're fired. And according to her here, that's okay. That that's legally, that's okay. She says another thing that states can do short of a requirement across the board that everyone be vaccinated is that they could begin with a mandate that focuses on those sectors of people who are themselves at at greater risk or who work in proximity with the vulnerable populations. We don't want the employees themselves getting sick and being a bridge or a vector to the infecting uh, and infecting others who are vulnerable. People may object, but some more targeted forms of vaccine mandate may make sense and also be possible. In other words, what she's saying is that we, we may not call in a total mandate. We, We may not call it a total mandate, but if you don't get the vaccine, well, you know, whether, whether you've had COVID or not, you won't be able to travel. You won't be able to work a job. You won't be able to go to school. You won't be able to go to the store. You won't be able to play games or go to games or, or see concerts or do anything outside your house. But you know what? It's not really a mandate. <laughs> yeah, it's a mandate. Whether you want to call it a mandate, whether you want to call it a passport, whether you want to call any, whether or not you want to, whatever name you want to put on it, the next step here is that they're going for mandated vaccines for everyone. And that's just, that just doesn't make sense. And you may agree with me. You may not agree with me. Would love to hear from you. And of course, you can always go to our website and um, uncommonsensepodcast.com and you can go there and, and email us. You can, we, we, we uh, respond to everyone who does, and we'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening.